0: Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. Hey, you know, we were worshiping, which was amazing. And um, one of the things, whenever you come to a worship gathering, I hope you do. I hope that you come expecting to actually encounter God, I, I hope. I think some of us would just go to church because that's what we did last week, or there wasn't a camping trip this week. Or, But when we come, um, we should come expecting that God would meet us where we're at. I had one of those encounters while, while the rest of you were singing. I was singing too. But I had a sense, and I, before we, we'll get, we we'll get to the Bible here in a minute, uh, I had a, a real sense while that first song was being sung, that someone, I think it's someone's, I could be wrong, um, has walked in with the heaviest of loads of fear. We all deal with fear. We all are wondering what's tomorrow going to look like. You read a headline, you get scared. You look at the trajectory of what's happening at work or at home, and you get, you get scared. But sometimes you walk into a room and you are, you are gripped with fear. And if that's here this morning, good news. We're going to continue in Colossians in a moment. But I think the Lord wanted to remind you this. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And I think that's what we need to be reminded. If you're just gripped by fear this morning, or if you're watching and not in the room, or you're watching later uh, because you missed it and you're gripped by fear, you just need to be reminded The Lord, if you're following King Jesus, is your shepherd. You have everything that you need. And it doesn't mean that you won't walk through times where you don't understand or you can't see a way out, but it makes all the difference in the world when you remember that God is for you, not against you. You have nothing to fear. So if that's just you this morning, receive that as the word of God. It's all true because it's in the scriptures But it's the word of God to you this morning. He loves you that much. And I want to pray for you. And if you're new at our church, we want to grow in praying one for another. And I would encourage you, if fear is something you're wrestling with this morning or anything else that you want King Jesus to come in and touch, at the end of this message, we're going to open up spaces to the left and right because this isn't a platform stage where things just go out to you. No, we're one big family. We open it up for prayer one to another on purpose because we need one another. And the point of being here together is to love one another, pray for one another, care for one another, serve one another, carry each other's burdens. And in that way, we fulfill the whole Bible, the law of Christ. And so I would encourage you, if you are a little intimidated about receiving prayer, by faith, since the Lord is your shepherd, at the end of this message, just come and receive from God because he loves you that much. That was my rant, so it shall be. Uh, let's, um, Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you that you gave us words written thousands of years ago, thousands of years ago, that still ring true in our ears right now. And because Lord, you are our shepherd, our guide, our lover, our provider, our creator, we confess that we have Everything that we need. We lack nothing because of you. So, Jesus, we recenter our mind now to what is absolutely true. If you are for us, who could actually stand against us? So, we receive, Lord, what we need from you, whether it's peace and calm or wisdom or patience, whatever it is that we need to walk through today's trials. Lord, we receive those things as gifts from you, the Good Shepherd. And because you're worthy of all praise, we want to return, in light of your loving kindness, our lives filled with worship to you. So God, open our eyes, open our ears to receive from you whatever it is that we need. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, welcome to the message before the message. But sometimes you're just lit up with God's goodness. And, and as a church, we want to grow in hearing, and hearing and receiving from the goodness of God one for another. All right, let's get down to practical questions. How many of you have school tomorrow? Some of you didn't like, oh, Beaverton, my parents forced me to live in Beaverton. <laughs> so um, for those of you living in Beaverton, I'm sorry, reality kicks in tomorrow. For those of you in Hillsboro, just l- light up your friends with all sorts of pictures <laughs> of you doing stupid stuff <laughs> tomorrow as well. Those who are suffering uh, go to class. Um, well, in light of school, we're going to talk about slavery today. <laughs> we actually are going to talk about a very heavy topic, but it is funny. I didn't set this up. It is in a time of year where some of you are going to be chained to your desks. Uh, we're, 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 we're looking at Colossians, and it is it is a, a series around the theme that Jesus is Lord over all. And so if you've been here all summer, if not, you could always catch up on the podcast. We are looking at how Jesus is the Lord of the universe, but he's also the Lord of our lives. And so the letter is written to Jesus' people for us to help figure out how do we actually live in light of Jesus's leadership, not only of the universe and the world, but of our lives as well. And so we hit this point at the end of chapter three, where we're talking about Jesus being the Lord of all relationships. So last week, Taylor and I were talking about how in your marriage, we're called to serve the Lord, uh, which means it's not about my right It's about my responsibility. Husbands have responsibilities. Wives have responsibilities. In our relationships as Jesus' people, we're to serve the Lord, which means we serve one another. And then we also uh, looked at the parent and child relationship. In your parenting, you're to serve the Lord. You're not to raise your kids in a way that's going to discourage them. But as children, you're to Serve the Lord, and you're to honor your parents, mom, dad, or whoever's raising you. In every relationship, we're called to serve the Lord, and yeah, I made light, but we're now going to look at a topic that could be confusing, and hopefully we'll unpack it. We're going to look at the workplace, but through the lens of what actually Paul tells this church, which is about slaves and masters. So if you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 30. To, to the end of the chapter. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when they, uh, their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord As a reward. It is the Lord, Christ, the Messiah, that you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. We'll read chapter four, verse one. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a capital M, master in Heaven. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you're new to exploring Jesus, you read texts like this, and it should be an automatic red flag. In light of the history of the world, in light of the history of America, in light of the human history, Jesus, slaves, masters, like, are you, are you kidding me? So what we need to do is whenever we look at something in the Bible that seems off to us, what we first must do is be honest and recognize I may not know what it means. I may not know what it's saying, so before you jump to a conclusion, what we do is we look at the Bible and honestly, and we want to say to ourselves first, who is Paul writing to? What is he saying to them? Why does that matter? And then, hopefully, what you do is, as you understand what it was saying to the original audience and why it mattered to them and what principles are there, then we can jump to our situation, and we should look at... Does this apply to me? Does it not? Or if it does apply to me, what principles can I take in everyday life? So slaves and masters, a helpful quote by one of the excellent commentators on this passage. And I'm going to read a very long quote, take a photo, or watch the podcast again. This is going to help set the stage. Quote, Douglas Moo in the Pillar of New Testament Commentary. At first sight, Paul's command that slaves obey their masters seems simply to endorse the status quo. But we need to see that what he writes here also subtly undermines it. And then three things. First, it's significant Paul chooses to address slaves at all, implying not only that they are assembled with other Christians of the Colossian church to hear the letter being read out, but they are responsible people who need to choose a certain kind of... Of behavior. That's number one. Number two. Second, Paul clearly relativizes the status of the slave's master by repeatedly reminding both slave and master of the ultimate quote unquote master to whom both are responsible, the Lord Jesus Christ. And third, Paul never hints that he endorses the institution of slavery. And that's huge. He tells slaves and masters how they're going to conduct themselves within the institution, but it is a bad misreading of Paul to read into his teaching approval of the institution itself, end quote. And the reason this quote is so important is because in the history of the church, some have taken this very text to endorse something that Paul is actually subtly speaking Against Now, what's going to help us? Why does Paul say to wives and husbands, to children, and to parents or fathers, and then slaves masters? Why is he talking to this group at all? First, we need to know half of the population in the empire of Rome at this time are slaves. Half of the population. You may not know that. If you don't know that, you may miss what Paul's trying to say. Now, what would bring this many people into slavery? Back in Paul's day, if you were in debt, you could bring yourself under a master into a slave relationship for a temporary period of time in order to pay off your debts, and then you would be set free. Uh, This was temporary for some. It was not temporary for all. Uh, Some stats show that 60 million people in the Roman Empire are slaves when Paul is writing. 60 million. And the majority of the Colossian Christians in the church could have been slaves. So he's speaking to a broad group of people in their current situation. And we know that many of these who were in a current slave-master relationship, they came to faith in Christ. And we know that in the church, you have people who are under a master and people who are masters, and they're eating together together. They're drinking together. They're taking communion together. They're praying for one another. The Holy Spirit is working through the slave to speak truth to the master and the master to the slave. Now, I want to be clear. Slaves were treated horribly and they're just like the wife had no legal recourse in their day. The husband, the father, the male was in charge and there was a little legal recourse for the woman or the children. In the same way, The master had power over the slave, and they could terribly mistreat them. But at other times in their day, slaves would rise up to be house managers, doctors, lawyers. My point here is this. Before we jump to a conclusion about what the Bible is saying, we need to know what it actually says. And in their culture, while it was terrible, it is not the same thing. When we think of slavery today, it's not the same exact thing. Uh, It wasn't the race-based slavery that's part of our nation's story and so much of the West. Like in in their day, see, slavery here, you could look at someone and you knew they were slaves because they were black. You knew it and it was only because of their race and the country that they came from or there were children and offsprings of those families that they were enslaved. It's not the same thing. You couldn't immediately tell who was slave or master in their day. Um, And the slaves of our day were enslaved because they were kidnapped and ripped from their country and brought to a foreign land to be sold and worked to their death. And that's not what's happening in the first century in Rome. So the same word is used, slavery there, but our slavery is definitely different. Yet at the same time, we know slavery in both sets, in the first century and today, has always been wrong. Someone owning and domineering someone's life has never been the heart of God. There was no rules for protection. Uh, So the, the commands that Paul is actually gonna give are revolutionary. Because just like he flips the script, he speaks first to the wife, which elevates the role of the wife. And it's subversive. He speaks to the kids. It elevates the role of children in the home because of Christ. And it's subversive. It's teaching a different way. So in the same way, he speaks to who first? The slave. And he says that even though they have a master and slave relationship, because of Jesus, everything changes. So Paul's not supporting slavery. Slavery always was and is evil. And it's actually these words, when they're properly understood, which lead in our human history in the 1800s till today to the abolition movement and to the removal of slavery and making it illegal. And there's still so much work to be done because slavery still exists today. But it's actually when you understand this in its truth and its completeness that you come to the conclusion that King Jesus sets people free. And King Jesus is for the freedom and the liberty and the flourishing of all people, no matter where they came from, no matter what they've done or what's been done to them. Everyone is equally loved and valued in God's sight, and he came to rescue them all. And so we ought to be a people who are about freedom. Okay, so hopefully that sets the, the tone for what we're going to talk about we won't talk more about slaves and slavery because actually there's a principle that we could and should apply when we think about texts like this there are instructions given to those who are in charge and those who are under so so here's the bottom line write it down in your work we are to serve the Lord so in our marriage relationship we're to serve the Lord in our parenting in, in our being Jesus children Jesus people who happen to be under mom and dad. were to serve the Lord. And in the same way, when we think about what this means for us, in our work, we're to serve the Lord because even though we're not slaves and we don't have our bosses and our master in the same way, we are under authority. And God has given authority for good. Authority in the home and authority in the workplace. So let's just think about some principles that we can apply. What does it say to us and how can we work? At least there's three things I think that we can apply when we see a text like this and write them down. We're called to obey from your heart. We're called to work from your soul and we're called to lead from his or God's justice. And we wanna look at all three from these instructions to slaves and masters, obey from the heart, work from your soul and lead from his First, he tells them, obey in what? Everything. Not only when their eye is on you, right? To curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart. What does this mean for those of us who do have someone above us in the workplace? It it means we're called to think about our job as a place of worship. Just a little, little side note. All of life can be an act of worship. And so if you follow Jesus in your marriage, we're to worship God by honoring those that we've been joined to. If you're in a human family, we can make home life an act of worship. That is, if you're under your parents' leadership, you can honor Jesus. Even if you don't agree with your parents, you can actually worship and honor the Lord in the way that you live under that God-given authority. And in, in the workplace, which is most of our life, I mean, let's just assume you sleep eight hours a day. You get full eight hours. It it means you should get a good mattress. You should, some of you, you, you're living on a horrible thing, and you should get yourself a good mattress because a third of your day, in theory, is spent on that thing. And so you should care for your body. It's an act of worship. Get a good bed. Um, and, and And then let's just say you work and commute, nine to 10 hours, when you think of the whole of going to work, work, and then the endless emails you do after work, which is called the work after work, um, which is work. That says, okay, so now we're up to 18 hours of your day is sleeping and working. So, so is worship like in that little space outside of it? No, all of life. Jesus is Lord over all. And so what we can do is we can honor our leaders. What does it mean to obey from your heart? We can honor those in authority over us. We can, we can actually mean what we say. Now, not everyone's gonna do this, and this is, very, this is very different than many people's understanding of work. Work is like the thing you do to live the life that you really wanna live. Like, I'm, I'm grinding because really, life is about this six-hour experience or the days off or the weekends. And that's just not a Jesus-centered worldview because Jesus is Lord over every minute and every hour. What I can do is I can apply my faith in Jesus to the way I see people above me at work. It means that you have a sincere heart. You're, You're not taking an assignment from a boss and saying thank you, happy to do it, and then two hours later backbiting and complaining and moaning and groaning to your coworkers about how terrible they are. So I'm kind to them in the moment because my review's coming up, but then I am, I'm something else when I'm with the people who are also under them. Why? Because we reverence the Lord, because we honor him, because we're not just serving the human manager and the human supervisor and that company. All of life can be an act of worship. Now you're saying, Jose, but I don't like my job. Try being a slave. So this isn't about when my job is good and when God gets me in my sweet spot, then I'll thank him. But rather, it's choosing to realize that ultimately I follow King Jesus in all of life, and if he's provided this spot and this space and time to work with these people and to do this work, it's actually worship to him. Second thing, we can we can work from our soul. Notice it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, except this time he says, with all of your soul. Now, it sounds funny in English, the word is soul, so it's often translated heart, and it means the same thing. It's the, the soul was seen as the center from the deepest place. We can, we can choose to obey from, from the heart. We can choose to do what's right for the right reasons, and we can also work with everything within. Uh, so what that means, if like, if your role, if your occupation is cleaning houses, then then you, you scrub the bathroom, you work with your soul. You're not just working for the paycheck. You're not just working for the employer. Ultimately, Paul says again and again and again throughout his letters, we belong to Christ. We are the new creation, the new creation who we're going to be in all of eternity has started now. So now even though I I don't live in the age to come where we live in a perfect world and in a perfect world everyone is treated with equality is that your workplace environment? No, it's the mantra. It's on the HR directive. It's required. But we know that in the workplace it's unequal and there's injustice but the new creation, what God is doing in the future, has already started in us, his people. And we're called to live as a different kind of people in our marriages, in our family life, and even in the workplace. This is worship to God. We do it because he's the true master. It, it means if you stock shelves, you do it with all of your soul. If you... If you Master spreadsheets, a number crunch. You do it with all your soul. If you're an entrepreneur, you see every idea as an opportunity, not just to make a buck, but to make a difference in the world. You do it with all of your soul. If you're in school, ha, 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 slavery of masters, you go to school tomorrow with a different perspective. You're going not just to fill space, but it's an act of worship. Now, I'll give a little side note because I love side notes. Um, we're ridiculously blessed. In most countries of the world, if your parents can't pay the school fees, you don't go to school. Education is not a given right around the world. It is a gift to those who pay. And often when you pay, you get very little in return in terms of services and ability and skill sets and computers and equipment and air conditioned buildings and all of the rest. So I'll just say for us students who are living here in America, God graced you to live here and now, we can go into a new school year with a new perspective that I'm actually going as a worshiper of Jesus and right now, I'm not in my career yet, I'm not in my like, thing that I wanna do in the future yet, but I'm in the now and Jesus is here in the now and I can make the most of the now, not for my teacher, not even for mom and dad but I could do it for the Lord. This verse, we do it for the Lord, not human masters. I remember my freshman year of college, I put it right where I did my work because in my senior year of high school, I just, like, I had senioritis, and so my GPA slipped a little bit because my GPA slipped just a little bit. I missed out on the the largest scholarship for college. I could have gotten a full ride, but I got under that, because I let my GPA slip. I just got, I got lazy, and I, I made a commitment. I was like, Lord, thank you for the very expensive lesson. I appreciate that. <laughs> it was done out of ignorance. I thought I was good. I was already accepted, but I didn't read the fine print about it. if you just keep it to this level, you get this much. So I wrote these verses out and put it, plastered it where I did my work. Don't be a fool. I'm in school for the Lord. I'm there to honor him and there's reward when I give it my best. Am I saying you gotta be straight A's? No, one B is fine. Um, No, The the grades aren't the issue. The grades aren't the issue. God knows the heart and friend, if you're 16 years old and you give your whole heart to Jesus to be the best 16 year old student that he created you to be, he will honor you in the future in ways that other people will not. So it's not about the grades, and it's not about looking good to look good. It's about worship in all of life. If you're an organizer, you're organized as unto the Lord. The point is, whatever we're doing, we do it for the Lord. And, and notice he's, sleeping, he, he, he's speaking to slaves who have no rights and masters. He speaks to the slaves and says, there's an inheritance which is family language for you. The slave has no inheritance. The slave has no rights, but they belong to the Lord. And in the Lord, God will reward you. So so yes, there's pay. Can I just say this? As Jesus people, we don't work for the pay, although the pay matters, right? The pay is important. The pay is necessary. We work for the payoff. And the payoff is... Well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. We apply that to, did you set up chairs at church on Sunday? Faithful servant. Did you help lead the men's Bible study? Faithful servant. Did you volunteer to watch someone else's kids so that a mom or a dad could actually engage in worship with a clear brain? Faithful servant. Do you know he's talking about the midweek work? Faithful servant? And if you are faithful in the small things, like at work or at school, there is great reward. And and notice here, too, what he doesn't say. He he doesn't say, you need to get back at your master for what they've done to you. Nowhere here is he going to tell the slaves, it's time for an uprising. It's time to put them in their place. It's time to pay back. Jesus people don't repay evil with evil, even though it is evil. And some of you, in your work experience, you have experienced things that are just unfair, unjust layoffs, Um, being asked to do work, but not being given enough pay to actually make ends meet, being worked beyond what's right or reasonable, being threatened, being mocked, uh, being let go for causes that you don't deserve. None of those are right. None of those are good but nowhere does Paul or, or any Jesus people say it's within our right to pay people back. And so there is behavior that other people in the workplace and school are gonna engage in, and can we just call it what it is? It's wrong. It's wrong for us. Why? We belong to Jesus, and we live in the Jesus way. But then that's, that's to slaves. We're, we're, to, we're to obey, we're to work with all our soul, but notice he also speaks to masters, uh, and, and interestingly, he doesn't tell them to free their slaves here. Half, half of the empire is in this complicated relationship with a master. But if you keep reading the Bible, you know that this letter to Colossae also went another letter to a particular person named Philemon, who's probably leading the house church. And if you read the letter to Philemon, it talks about the slave that was now a helper to Paul, and he's sending the slave back, but he he tells him to treat him as a what? Brother in the Lord. So in the kingdom of God, we cannot control things that are outside of an environment. You can't control the work environment more than is within your purview. But amongst Jesus' people, he clearly says, To a Jesus follower, you're not to treat this slave of yours as less than. You treat him as a brother, which means we're to provide. If you're an employer, you're called to provide as unto the Lord. You're called to pay well as unto the Lord. You're called to look after and advocate for the people. If you're a manager or a high-level executive, or you lead one other person, or you're in a student leadership group, you and I were called to see people as Jesus would see them. And I I love so many of you doing this. I had breakfast um, early this summer with someone in our community who, who leads a larger organization. And it was interesting because at the time they're looking at making cuts. And what he was saying is in their boardroom, he's pretty much the only one who's advocating for less profit for the company so that they could properly care for their employees. And now he's doing it from a human resources point of view, saying our most valuable asset is the experience of our employees. Now we're in a downturn right now, but we need to invest more in our people because our people will bring us through to greater profit in the future. But those who are just seeing work as an ability to make more money see it as an ability to make more money. And we need to cut, 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 and we need to throw away, and we need to end. Jesus provided one of his people in that workspace to be an advocate for those who didn't have a voice. And so what I'm here to tell you is that part of our responsibility in following Jesus at school, uh, in neighborhood community groups, and nonprofits, in the workplace, is to hear God's voice. What is it that God wants to do with the people that you have care and influence What is Jesus' heart, what is his desire for the people that he's connected you with? We don't see people just as a number or a space or a value because what they bring to us, we see them as fearfully and wonderfully made and a, a potential candidate for heaven and as a brother and sister who could belong to Jesus. Now, none of this is easy. I get that. So to work under someone requires the grace of Jesus for us to do the right thing. For us to lead well and to lead like Jesus and to lead courageously requires the grace of Jesus to do that well, which is why we just need to keep reading. What does Paul give us as, I think, our greatest opportunity as we step into a new school year, as we step into the fall and the rhythms? I mean, some are so scattered. I saw some of you, like, in May. Haven't seen you until, like, August. Because I've been gone, you've been gone, we've been gone, we've all been gone. But now as we step in, let's just recalibrate. What can we do now to make a massive difference so that we'll serve like Jesus served and we'll do all things family, home, work, as unto the Lord? Let's just read verse two of chapter four. Let's read verses two to six. Devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, Answer everyone. What's going to help us to grow in sacrificial love? Because all of these commands are to live with sacrificial love. It's hard for a husband to be a Jesus-like husband. Sacrificial love. For a wife to, to care and to put herself under the care of the husband that's been given. It takes sacrificial love. Kids, moms and dads. Employees, employees, it takes sacrificial love. What does he say to do? Two things that he tells us to do, and they're so simple, we overlook them. We overlook the obvious. The first thing he says is talk to God about people. Well, how can I live like Jesus in the workplace? Well, it's not about technique. It's not about reminders. It's not about cue cards. It's not about all sorts of things that we can muster up. Let me just ask you, Are you bringing these people to God continually by name? If you're a supervisor, are you praying for the people under your care? If you're part of the team, are you praying for the people who are your colleagues under you and above you? Are we actually devoted to prayer? Notice, being watchful, looking for the answer. So there's no use in praying for your workplace if you're not open to hearing God speak to you about your workplace, it's a waste of time. But what would it look like for us as Jesus' people to say, I'm devoted to bring my work life to God's presence and I'm gonna pray for people by name, asking God, what is it that you would have me do or stop doing, be watchful, and the the balance is be thankful you have a job. It's not everything you wanted it to be, but he's provided. It doesn't afford you all that you had hoped and dreamed, but he's given you. So part of our working out our Jesus likeness in the workplace is recognizing that God has been gracious and thoughtful towards us. So we pray about the hard situations, being thankful about the good things that he's been doing. We talk to God and notice the focus of the prayers as we're being watchful and we're being thankful. What are we praying for? Read again. Pray for us too that God may open a door for the message so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ. And then he throws in, for which I'm in chains. So Paul's writing to this church. And what is it? Is it it a little villa in Rome sipping his little espresso? No. He is physically chained to a Roman guard. And he's thankful for the opportunity. And he's saying to the church, pray for me as I pray for you because this is my situation in life right now. I've been preaching the gospel. I'm, he's under house arrest. He's given some freedoms. People can come in and bring him food. But he's physically chained to a guard so that he doesn't escape. And he's like, what can I pray for? God break the chains? No, that's not what he prays for. He prays God. Open the door that this Roman soldier will become one of your followers and I'll be able to call him brother rather than just soldier. And what would it look like for us to pray with Thanksgiving that God would open the door? And for some of us, you're like, Jose, this sounds this sounds really good, but you don't know the nature of the environment with which I'm working. Let me just say, are you physically chained? Are you enslaved? You have no rights. You could actually leave that job. I think all of you can. But we've been given God's grace in the workplace. We can find a new opportunity. And frankly, let's just get real with us. We are spoiled rotten. I'm not saying that your job is not hard. I'm not saying that you're not gaining all that you would hope and dream. But my goodness, get on a plane and go around the world. Please get on a plane with me and walk in the places that I've walked, and people would kill for the opportunities that we squander. So that's just being American, you don't even have to be Jesus' follower. But on top of that, you and I belong to Jesus. We have eternal life. The kingdom of God is living inside of us. We're gonna live eternally with each other and Jesus forever. My goodness, certainly we can get our thoughts and our prayers upward. God, it's not just about me. God, it's not just about this job, it's actually about the people. And so wherever Paul prays, he's about the people. Uh, Rather than complaining, what if we prayed with thanksgiving for the person who's annoying? And so God, I, I don't know why you would do this to me, but you have, what is it that I can learn here? How can you, God, make me aware of how you're shaping my character through the conflict that we're having God I realize I have work to be done in me thank you for this grace and at the same token Lord beyond the job I don't know what's going on in this person's life that's causing them to be fill in the blank whatever they are but God would you use me to somehow show your grace and mercy now if you're new to following Jesus this sounds crazy this totally sounds crazy. But this is kingdom life. And this is what's gonna lead us to the second thing that Paul's gonna tell them to do. Um, first, talk to people about God. Second, talk to God about people. Or flip it. I'm sorry, I'm not looking at the screens. Talk to people about God. So first, we are gonna talk to God about people, gonna bring them up to him. But the point is, that we talk to people in the end about God, which is why he says, notice that they're going to ask questions and we're going to be full of grace, our conversations seasoned with salt. And this is where I think Jesus' people in today's Portland culture can make a massive difference. People are already expecting, if you belong to Jesus, to be combative. Why? Because Jesus' people have been quite combative. We have. Not you, I'm not saying you, but we. And in the marketplace, there's a stereotype that if you belong to Jesus, you're pretty much against everything. Everything that those who don't belong to Jesus stand for. And so here's where we get the opportunity to talk to God about people and then people about God. It is okay to have differences in cultural issues as a matter of fact we should. There's something called right and wrong And we know the truth, and we want to live in the truth, and we want to uphold the truth. Yet at the same token, we also want people to fall in love with Jesus, don't we? So this is where we're going to have to thread the needle in school and learn to thread the needle in the workplace. We want to major on the majors, not on the minors. So can I just say this? Why in the world would we expect someone who doesn't follow Jesus to live by Jesus' values? Why in the world would, why would I expect, if you don't belong to Jesus, why would I expect you to live by kingdom values? So I want you to live by kingdom values. I want you to live by the word of God. I want you to see this as the way and truth and life, and the Bible is the pointer towards life in Jesus. But if you're not yet following him, of course we're going to have differences in politics and social issues, and of course we can talk about these things But if the tone of my voice and the nature of my argument is pushing people further away from Jesus, haven't I slightly missed the point? It's possible to win the social argument and turn your friend off to the beauty of Jesus. So what, and this is why this word, the slaves and masters, is so important because in the world that we live in, if people find in us something different that is good, And something in your life that is beautiful and in contrast to the chaos that they're living. What does he say? They're going to ask you questions. And so we want to live in a way that's going to make people wonder what is going on in their life. Which implies a couple of things. It implies we're living differently. And so maybe in this season, this is a time of reflection for us. Maybe your life is one way around your Jesus friends, and then when you're in this environment, you're actually living another way. The word to you, the invitation this morning, is to submit all of life to Jesus. And if you're one way in church and in a Christian bubble, and then when you're out there in the workplace, you become cutthroat and unlike Jesus, well, there's no one that's gonna question whether your way is a good way they're gonna see it as inconsistent at best, hypocritical at worst. But what if we ask God, by his grace and mercy, to sharpen us to live more like Jesus, and then it also implies that we're living close enough to people that they actually see the difference. And so this is why we're invited to make room in our life for people who are outside of our church, outside of our Christian circle. Yes, I want Jesus' friends. But frankly, I would like more non-Jesus friends because it's out there where I can live as salt and light and I can extend grace and mercy and loving kindness. And so for some of you, like, man, I just wish I worked in a church so I didn't have to deal with those people. I'm saying, Lord, why do I work in a church? Because I have to deal with these people. <laughs> and, and I, I, I want to I I be more used out. So we're all dealing with our stuff and we all need Jesus. And so we're invited. We're invited to ask some questions. And I want us to narrow down two, and we're going to worship in response. Two questions that ought to grip us a bit. Number one, who am I praying for? Who are you praying for? The invitation is for those of us who are in the workplace, especially where there isn't a Jesus presence, is who am I praying for? And, like, what am I praying for for them? right? Not just like, oh, Lord, there's six people in my department. I just pray for them. But do, we, do I know them enough to know what I ought to be praying for? Am I listening to cues to know the, the points of pain or conflict or hurt or worry? Am, 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 I, am I pleading with God for the people he's put me in touch with, which implies that I know and I care? That question really matters. And then, where, where are my open doors? And this is, we're going to have to use wisdom. You say, Jose, I would love to talk about Jesus in the workplace, but we have an HR policy that clearly says no proselytizing. We're going to have to use wisdom. You're not going to sit there in the team meeting and open your Bible and say, turn to John (laughs) 3.16. But you say, well, that's my right. I should do that. I'm in America. Whoa, 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 whoa. You belong to Jesus. So we're respectful. We're caring. We're thoughtful. We're considerate. We're not lawbreakers. So I broke the rule and showed you Jesus is the better way. Do you realize how inconsistent that is? But rather, my walk with Jesus matters to me. So I'm so invested in you and your life. Forget in the workplace. I I know you. I'm getting to know you. So I'm away from the work environment. And we're doing something together and we're talking about things that matter. And I talked about what you do on the weekend and they asked me what I did on the weekend. I said, I went to church and heard a stellar message about Jesus in the workplace. And I wanna share some of what I've been learning or we bring people into our hurts and worries and, and we talk about how we're leaning on God's grace and mercy. And if it weren't for the love of Jesus, where would we be? The point is you can be considerate and respectful and still be a witness. We're using wisdom, Right? So who are you praying for? Let me just ask that. Who, who do, you, do you have a list? I have, I have a note that I keep in my phone of people in my neighborhood and just in my world that's part of my routine, and I'm praying for them. And if something comes up, I'm just adding it under their name so so I could see, Lord, I'm pleading with them about this. And, and Lord, I, I don't even understand what's going on here, but your grace, your mercy, and I'm also looking for the open door. And the same could be said for you. So why don't we stand on our feet, if we could, and as an act of worship, let's, um, let's invite the Holy Spirit to guide us in the specifics. So don't, don't just rush through the moment. We hear a message, let me cut to, okay, give me some songs, give me some lunch, let's move on. No, let's, let's seize this moment. Who is the Lord stirring you to pray for regularly? Who is he bringing to your mind right now? We want to give you a moment, just a moment. Think about them. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what do I need to know so that I can pray best for my whoever this is? Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to guide our prayer time, not later, like right now. And even in this moment, as you're thinking and praying for them, ask God, God, will you increase my open door? Lord, show me the open door. Let's just ask him silently, right where we're at. Lord, increase, open my eyes. Lord, I, I want an open door. Lord, I thank you that you're working and you're moving here and beyond. Lord, I thank you that you're listening to the cries of your sons and daughters to be used by you, to be useful, to represent you in this world. Lord, as we pray for others, we pray for ourselves. God, you know our inconsistencies. We repent. We turn to you. We need grace. We need mercy, but we find it in you, King Jesus, crucified, risen, alive, Lord of all. Lord, we're inviting you to extend mercy to us again so that we can serve you in this school year, in this work week, God, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.